This is Collected Clan, Episode 6. That's kind of how I see the images play out in my paintings. They're, they're moments in conversation. Welcome to Collected Clan, the podcast about outstanding people I've met along the way. People with interesting stories, triumphs, and ideals. People who've made their mark in the world and in my life. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. I've met a lot of people over the years, and many people come and go. But these people are the company that you keep. Everyday people just like you and me. A big thank you to everyone who has subscribed and left a rating and review so far. I'm thrilled to announce we're at 100% five stars. So glad these conversations resonate with you. Here's one from a new listener says, what an awesome idea. The interviews are solid, and I really like how the author or host love for photography and the visual really comes out on an actual website for the podcast, which is collectedclan.com. The stories of the people capture my eyes and ears. I love to see the push to recover the lost art of the face-to-face conversation. That pretty much sums up what this show is all about. Everyday people having a conversation, telling stories of their lives, and learning new things about each other. It's more than an interview. It's a conversation. And in this one, the episode starts with a video chat visual of an album cover. I suspected that was Elizabeth. So when you hear the, is this you question, just seconds from now, I'm showing an album cover on my phone. So with no further ado, let's get into the conversation with painter, musician, Elizabeth Foster. So I have a question that since you collect Elizabeth Foster's, and I want to hear about that. um, (laughs) And since you share a name with, at least three other people on the planet. Is this you? Can you see that? <laughs> yeah. Is that you? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was because it sounded like you. Yep. It's a really nice record. Oh, thank you. I've been listening to it. Yep, I did that um, here in Nashville. And gosh, it seemed like a million years ago, but when it was, was a lot it? of fun. I think that that is 2005, maybe? Hmm? Like long, That's long, That's like long a teenager ago. ago. <laughs> I know. I made that record a few years after I moved here. And I moved here when I was like 27, a long time ago. What year was 27? Okay, my math is not going to add up. (laughs) So you are all right brain is what you're saying? (laughs) Oh, I am all right brain. When I took that test in in high school, it was all right brain. I think I moved here in 2003. Three, okay. I beat you by 11 years. I I moved here in 92. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, you totally beat me. I I had been playing music forever with my friend Hannah back in South Carolina for, gosh, six or seven years. And we just traveled all over playing music. And we started working with people here in Nashville and driving back and forth to South Carolina in Nashville. And at some point, we disbanded. And I just felt like I kept going to school every time I came to Nashville. You know, everybody is a singer-songwriter or a publisher or whatever. And you just, I just loved it. I loved the creativity here in this town. So I eventually just moved here. I actually actually considered myself a musician until I moved to Nashville. Oh, yeah. And then I realized, oh. Absolutely. Oh, no. (laughs) I had a very small dog that that was the only thing that was kind of tying me down. So I was like, you know. Have small dog, will travel and yes, move to yes. Nashville. So, so you said that you and your friend Hannah disbanded musically or mm-hmm. relationally? 
Oh no, just musically. Just musically. Good. Yep. We were, um, we were best buds. She had been playing music since she was like 12 and I had come along after I graduated from college. I was actually her youth group leader in church and we had sung a few times together and our voices just kind of meshed. And when you sing harmony with someone and your voices are similar kind of timbre, Mm -hmm. it like, it does something, you know, like, Oh wow. Like, what Mm -hmm. was that? We need to sing some more together. And we ended up singing for the next like six or seven years together and traveling all over the place to Europe and Ukraine. And I mean, all over the U S you've been to Ukraine too. All the way to the Ukraine. Nice. I've been there three times. I love that place. um, have you really? I have. That's awesome. Yeah. Where were you? I went over with Christchurch Choir, which is uh, the church where Megan and I met and married. And the choir went over to do some musical oh. tour slash mission type stuff. During the day, we would break off and do like street drama or a group would go to some orphanages or, you know, some sort of humanitarian philanthropic mission type <laughs> work. And then we had, you know, concerts for the, open to the public. This was back in... 93, 94, and 96. So this is, you know, a handful of years after the Iron Curtain fell. Yeah. Um, So we would would fly into Kiev and get on a riverboat. So picture uh, the General Jackson, (coughs) but not a party boat, but like a a river cruise type thing. I mean, there were like cabins Uh and bunks and a dining hall and the captain would come down for dinner. um, Oh my goodness. So basically it was a floating moving hotel. Which was super convenient on the logistics because we got off the airplane, got on a bus, unloaded yeah. our crap onto the riverboat, and then we didn't have to unpack except for that one time. Oh wow! And we would we would go down the river and stop at cities along the way. We went out on Black Sea for a little while, mm-hmm. and um, one of the trips we busted clear back up to Kiev. Actually, maybe all three. I don't remember, but it was we we traveled down the river, which was yeah. super cool. So we've been to Odessa, I've been to Yalta, where the big, uh, the Yalta summit happened. I think it was like Winston Churchill and some other <laughs> like big leaders. We went wow. to that building, which was super cool. Yalta is down in the part of the Crimean Peninsula that Putin mm-hmm. just took back mm-hmm. um, from Ukraine. So when that was all in the news, it was interesting to, to watch all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm so far removed from the politics of that, so... I don't want to get into that, but I was like, wow, I, Yalta, yeah. I've been there. The Crimean Peninsula, wow, I've been there. I've like done rock side to side, awaken because of waves on the Black Sea. Oh um, my gosh. But yeah. Yeah. I climbed the steps in Odessa and I don't know, it was just cool. That is cool. I could not even tell you where we were. <laughs> I know that we flew into like probably Kiev and then got in a van and drove for like three and a half, four hours. Nice. In the dark, and then woke up in beautiful European-looking countryside. Yeah, yeah. it's With it's pretty remarkable up there. blooming everywhere, yep. and beautiful children, and aren't they lovely? Babushkas. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, when you see the countryside, you realize why their flag <laughs> is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. It's the the blue bar at the top, which is the sky, mm-hmm. and the yellow bar at the bottom, which is the the fields, like the cornfields. I think it's wheat fields. And yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful country, and I yeah. love the people. And, oh, so, so and some of our translators now live over here, and we've reconnected on Facebook, which has been super cool. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's it's been nice. So uh, yeah, I hear Ukraine, and all of that comes flooding back because I 
have yeah. been over there. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very particular place to go, so. It is. I acquired a mm -hmm. taste for dill when I was over there. Yep. Yeah. It, it covers a multitude of sin. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and it actually looks good in uh, landscaping, too. So if you grow it, oh. it's, it's an interesting looking plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you and Hannah, you obviously toured U.S. also, right? Or were you just we international starlets? Yes, we. Um, it's funny. So I, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, which has um, Fort Jackson. I mean, I literally every single morning at like five thirty, six in the morning, you could hear the soldiers from Fort Jackson right next, like right mm. next to our neighborhood, you wake which up is to the Reveille. nation's <laughs> largest training base. Yes. Um, you could hear them chanting and marching um, as you brush your teeth in the morning, getting ready for school. And so it's kind of, I like, I think the first show that I ever sang for was for the troops at Fort Jackson. What a neat experience. It was, yeah, it was really cool. All those men and women, and we ended up doing a lot with the military. So eventually we ended up doing um, some really neat shows over in Germany and Italy just going from Air Force Base to Army Base, meeting people and loving on people and yeah. playing music. So Did you it was guys really book that cool. on your own or was it through USO? It was through. It's actually when we played, we played a coffee shop that they had for the men and women in basic training, which was basically just like a hall that, you know, they put a couple of streamers up and had a little sound system. <laughs> yeah. And a punch bowl with a, a round bunt cake ice floor. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the idea. <laughs> It was really amazing, though, because I think when we first started playing it, it was, you know, it was just a handful of people. And, and they had this coffee shop, I think, every single weekend. But the soldiers had a choice that on Friday nights or it was either Friday or Saturday night, they could either go there or they could go to the bowling alley or maybe to the movies. And so eventually word got out that there was like live music going on and it was all Christian based music. Hmm. So it was a, a Christian kind of outreach coffee house. But I mean, I, after like year one or two, that place was just, I mean, it was packed out. People were like streamed out the door. It was amazing that they would choose to come and just hang out and listen to music. And, and we played all kinds of music, but it was a lot of fun. But anyway, all that to say is that I kind of, I started Hannah and I started playing there and then played churches, coffee houses, you name it, we probably played it. We're talking Boy Scout jamborees, weddings, baptisms, the works, retreats. It was the best. It's a gig, right? It was a gig. It was a gig. <laughs> it was also really, it was, I mean, you know, we were doing, um, it was a music ministry. And so it was a really uh -huh. cool, I mean, we'd go anywhere. It was awesome. Yeah. Also known as paid rehearsal. Paid rehearsal or unpaid, <laughs> or unpaid rehearsal. rehearsal. Yes. Because I think there were a lot of people didn't think that you should get paid if you were doing Christian yes. music. <laughs> yes. But um, it's a whole nother conversation. That it is. Um, <laughs> but um, eventually, so Hannah got to a point where she just needed to take a break. We had played for years and years. She needed to take a break and, and move to a different town and just kind of figure out because she had... I guess we started playing when she was 17. And so we, you know, we worked solidly on playing music and that, you know, she hadn't gone to college and had that experience yet. And so it was a good time for her to take a break and 
and for me to kind of stretch my legs and go to Nashville and um, work on my own stuff. Yeah. So did you guys record? We did. We did a couple of records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they still out there? I don't think. I don't think CD Baby carries them, distributes them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, every now and then one will pop up on on eBay. <laughs> Do you have a search <laughs> set for it? No. <laughs> no. You totally should. I know, I know. They're, gosh, oh my gosh. Just even thinking about those records just bring up so many memories, but it just seems like such another lifetime ago. So many great memories, so. How many solo records did you do? I just did the one. Just the one? And I've done a lot of, um, you know, I've sung on a lot of different people's records along the way and have sung, collaborated a lot lot with um, friends here in town. Yeah. Nashville will definitely keep you busy if you want to be. Yes. So. Are you the Elizabeth Foster on Easy Like Sunday Morning and Song of America albums? Yes. Yes? Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Those were cool songs too. I might have Spotify stalked you. But oh, again, fantastic. But again, you know, I wasn't, uh, aside from recognizing your voice, I'm like, yeah, that, that's her. <laughs> it could have been one of the other two Elizabeth Fosters. Well, yeah, there's, how, there's a few out there. How many are there? How many I, have you collected? I think there's a there's a real estate agent in I think in Denver, Colorado. I would really like to meet. You should go out there because I mean it's Denver. Well, yeah, and my sister moved there, and so I. So you have a place. I to mean, crash. next time in Denver, I really might just kind of give her a call. I met a two or three in college, which kind of started my whole slight fascination with other Elizabeth Fosters. While while you were at college. Uh huh. While I was in college, I, I met a girl whose name was Beth. And I was like, oh, I'm Elizabeth, Elizabeth Foster. And she was like, oh, I'm Elizabeth Foster. I'm like, why like, would you go no, by Beth? I'm Elizabeth Foster. You're <laughs> Beth Foster. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> then you pulled her hair. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wait, we need to have a contest to see who's the best. So, no, it was. Um, Wouldn't that be I'm the best? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to say it with a list. <laughs> well, I, I, at some point, I started dreaming of like collecting Elizabeth Fosters and staying in touch with them, and then having this big Elizabeth Foster party of like Elizabeth Fosters across the ages. That is a fantastic idea. It must There's be like, a YouTube channel. <laughs> I think it would be really fun. It would be fun. You know, of course, the only thing that ties us together, the only. I mean, I guess I'm I'm trying to see some similarity in the midst of all these E. Fosters. And, of course, the only one is that we are all named Elizabeth Foster, but they've all been so all lovely. and female. Th- this is true. They've all been very lovely, very cool girls and women that I would love to hang out with and get to know more. And actually, there's one of my favorite Elizabeth Fosters I met at a um, an artisan fair here in Nashville. Because mm. I think she's here in Nashville. But she came up to me at um, Porter Flea Artisan wow. Fair. Because she was working a booth down the way. And she was like, my name is Elizabeth Foster. <laughs> Your name is Elizabeth. I was like, yes. And I do, I have these like kind of funky wooden hand model you know, like the the movable hands, wooden hands mm-hmm. that artists use to, mm-hmm. you know, as for figure model. studies. Yeah, for figure yes. studies. I take those and then I build these little pedestals that they go on, and then I tattoo them with all the tattoos that I would never have the guts to give myself. But mm-hmm. um, so live a little vicariously through these hand models. But 
she came up, she was like, oh my gosh, I have these tattoos. I was like, what? And she had like this tattoo of a, because I had like this old like 1930s, 40s sailor tattoos. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I go for, but there was um, a ship and she had it on her arm. And I was like, so here's the thing. We need to take a picture with your tattoo and me holding my fake <laughs> arm. <laughs> That's and amazing. So it was incredible. Wow. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. And she was really cool. Really, really sweet. And she lives here. And she's an mm-hmm. artist. What is her art? Oh, um, What is her uh, end, end result? I don't want to call it a product, but what is her art and work? I, she, I believe she was, um, she was actually helping a vendor in the food section. Okay. I think it was fire chai, fire chai. Okay. Is that right? I think it's like chai tea. Yeah. Really yummy tea. But, So there wasn't like a, a rumble about to ensue over which Elizabeth Foster had the best artwork because there was only one there with artwork and one with chai. Well, but the thing is, is that she had, she had the tat, which automatically makes her like, she actually went ahead, suffered the pain, blood, sweat, and tears, got the tattoo. That makes, that makes her extremely cooler than the Mm. artist. As a tattooed person myself, I might have to maybe agree with you on that one, although I've never (laughs) met her. So it was, it was sizable and it was beautiful. So, wow. Will just, I mean, will, my hack is off to her. Will Pardon? the Elizabeth Foster you know very well ever get a tattoo? I don't think so. My tattoos are all natural. I stepped on a pine cone in high school, and I still have like part of the pine cone in the soft of my foot, and I really like it. And it's it's just so it's my natural t- tattoo. I would probably keep that one too. It's, in, yeah, instead it's of kept. tweeze it out. Yeah, that's awesome. No, there's no going back on that one. I think it was this, that maybe the sap that oh, could be, yeah. stained it. Because I don't I don't know if there's anything in there. I would think that it would hurt, but I don't know. Um, I also have, um, I was stabbed in like the first or second week of first grade by Melissa Moore in line trying to get our, um, trying to sharpen our pencils at the, mm. the, the one pencil sharpener in the classroom. Mm. And she turned around real fast and put some lead in my arm. So I still have that. That They're not is purposeful. street, Elizabeth. I mean, that's borderline thug life for first grade. It's, it's not, you know, it's not what I lead with, but it is a story. <laughs> <laughs> Was it intentional or accidental? Um, I think it was accidental. We were friends all the way through 12th grade. So if it was intentional, it worked. Fair enough. It was a memorable, memorable meeting. She made a first impression that stuck. That stuck. And we're still friends. So, Even yeah. Mm-hmm. I well, think if, if I got a tattoo, I would want an entire sleeve of like... I mean, I saw th- I saw this one tattoo that I just I will never get over. It was a whole sleeve of these absolute gorgeous flowers, mm. like Victorian flowers. Oh my gosh, it was just the colors, and I, it's probably her skin tone, mm-hmm. which like set it all off. But it was it was the most gorgeous tattoo I'd ever seen. If <clears throat> when you get a tattoo, will it be one of your designs? Or would no. it be an homage to uh, to another artist that you like? Or would you just tell the tattoo artist, you know what, I want you to do your thing and etch it 
into my skin. You know, I don't think that I would ever get a tattoo because I don't think I would ever be able to put enough weight into an image and certainly not my own on my skin. I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I would be tempted to be, I don't know, get bored of it or I don't know. Hmm. I've, I've never had a tattoo, so I don't know if you just love it and that's it or, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm I trying to wonder if, if I were an artist of your caliber, would I want a permanent etching of my work on me? And I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about whether I would do that, I don't know if I would or not. I do know that I want <clears throat> a tattoo of an Elizabeth Foster drawing. Oh no, really? I do. What I do because they are everything about them just screams. Oh my gosh, make a tattoo out of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but that's then, really but then it comes down to would I be able to find a tattoo artist? who would be willing to apply a tattoo created by another artist. Well, that's when you have to do your research. Well, yes, and... yes, yes. <laughs> see see yes. what they've done in the past, There, there are guess. a couple tattoo artists in town that I follow, one of whom um, has some work that I permanently carry around, and I would, I would love some more by him. And, and there's another artist that I've been following on Instagram that a buddy of mine got a really cool forearm tattoo by. And I've just been watching her work. And I have a tattoo in mind that I may have her do because the work I've seen her do is similar in style to the theme that I have. But to have that particular theme be done by you would be awesome. Or one of yours. Because uh, I, I just dig your artwork. Oh, thank you. I, I'm glad we started talking about music because my introduction to you was not through my ears. It was through my eyes. I first heard, actually, I take that back. I first heard of you as, oh my gosh, you know, did you know she's also a singer-songwriter? I'm like, what? She's a musician too? But I first learned of your work by seeing your work instead of hearing your work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you should know that people think your work is outstanding because it really is. Mm. If you've ever wondered if people dig it, they do. Because oh, everyone I show it to is like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I've had multiple people say, wow, that'd be a cool tattoo. <laughs> oh, so that's... it's not just me. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. That's encouraging. So I could spot an Elizabeth Foster painting or drawing if I saw one. Because mm -hmm. there's a unique style that you have. Um, I would definitely say you found your voice to the, the visual art as well. Um, where did that come from? I know where my brain has been. Like I know where. Do you know where my brain has been? Can you, if, if your brain <laughs> sees mine floating out there somewhere, now that I have three kids, would you tell it to come back? <laughs> I only have one and mine is way floated away. So I, I went to school undergrads at um, University of Virginia and studied art history because I was under the impression that I shouldn't study studio art because of the whole, you know, everybody always says starving artists, blah, 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 which is crazy because you can make a living being an artist. Yes. Um, maybe not in every city, but um, find yourself a good, good old fashioned creative city and you can do it. But um, I took one class that changed so much about what I loved and what I thought I loved. I took an, um, an arts of India 
um, like art history of, mm-hmm. of India, which, um, and I really, really got into the, the paintings, um, not so much the carvings and sculptures and temple, temples, but the, the paintings were absolutely gorgeous. And they were these kind of crazy quilts of patterns and color. And it absolutely played on all of my, I've also had kind of a quilt obsession and uh, not obsession, but, but love, um, ever since I was a kid loved crazy quilts and those two, the way that they were crafted, the way that they were, um, all those patterns set side by side. So thoughtfully just rang my bell and I, I, I never got over it. And so a lot of what I do, I feel like I'm defining my space and characters and images by um, patterns, yeah, natural patterns and patterns I create. And and so you get a lot of those kind of layerings of patterns throughout the work and that yeah. kind of thing. And, and now that you say that you dove into some India, Indian art history, I can totally see that coming through. Oh, cool. So those, there's those textures and shapes and patterns and swirls and the color palette and the elephants to be, yeah. to use a, a cliche symbol. I, and I hadn't connected that, but now that you say that, it's, it's obvious. It's like right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I always feel like, um, you know, another thing I never really got over as a kid were <laughs> books with pictures in them. You know, yeah. that's like the first form of art sometimes that we're even introduced to is image after image after image on the printed page. And, um, we have a lot of those. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. So do we. And I just remember being, um, you know, a a children's book snob as a kid because you just, there are just some incredible illustrators. And so a lot of my work just looks like maybe pages out of an, like an adult children's book, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's good because I'm, I'm playing off of nostalgia, possibly things that we think we remember from the past. Mm-hmm. And then with themes of what's going on in, in my adult life. And I like to illustrate the friends and family members or um, people that I come in contact and kind of turn them into characters. I was going to ask you if the animals that you paint are people. They are. Are they? Yeah. Um, always? So, like, is the bear always that person? No. Okay. No, it's situational. Okay. Yeah. But I don't tie myself to that as a rule, like when I'm creating stuff. Mm-hmm. But m- most of the time when I'm painting those more narrative scenes, I mean, there's a story behind it and there's an actual person or experience that's narrating that story for me. Very cool. Is so, any of them you? Gosh. What a great question. I don't think so. No? Not yet. Well, yeah, I'll take that back. There was a conversation I had with a web designer. We were trying to discuss the price of her <laughs> designing my my website. That super sexy conversation of, the, of art and commerce. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And we could not come to an agreement. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm not a super difficult person to work with in that I'm usually like, Oh yeah. Okay. That sounds great. But it was just kind of like, she was asking for the star and the moon and the sun. And I was like, I, I really can't do that, but thank yeah. you. And I was hoping we could meet in the middle somewhere. And so I painted during that time and I was waiting for her to like email me back. I, I painted this piece of two grizzly bears in these tiny rowboats in the middle of this somber like sea with darkened skies and then these like sunbeams shining down on each of them and it was called the the meeting in the middle because i knew that like at some point the the clouds were just gonna open up and we were gonna be like yeah sure that's cool let's do that done and of course that did not happen but <laughs> that's very cool well you know it's I, I I definitely work out my hope for circumstances through my art as well. And um, I, I, I used to paint a lot of elephants flying with like really tiny bird wings. And, and it was, I would usually paint a lot of those if, if I was, um, you know, if I had been talking to friends that just have a lot of heavy stuff, they just needed to, to work through. And it was kind of my my way of um, painting hope into their situations of like that. Yes, like you will, you will at some point. Those tiny little edy beady wings are gonna pound so hard you're gonna lift up, and all this will fall away. And it doesn't matter how weighty you are. But I love that. <clears throat> well. It made me feel better. <laughs> so maybe all these paintings are about me. <laughs> but. Well, and, and there may be something to that, too. I, I love hearing stuff like that because uh, as, as an avid music fan, too, um, I know that sometimes songwriters will write a song that could, be, could have an open interpretation, mm -hmm. which is fine. It's a thing. Yeah. But I always like to know the story behind the song. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what you just described is a way of understanding that about that particular painting. Cause I've seen mm -hmm. that painting and I'm like, well, and it's visually striking first of all, but I didn't know the story behind it. So now when I see it, I'd be like, ah, get it now. Or I get what the intention was, you know, sure. Yeah. I could transfer myself into it or pull mm -hmm. something from it. That isn't mm -hmm. what you intended. I guess that's mm -hmm. the beauty of art, but I like to know the artist's intention. Mm -hmm. um, also it's interesting because i remember um i remember when that piece sold the the gallery owner called me up and he was like i just want to let you know like i know because he he was a painter as well and he's like i know as artists as painters we don't get to we don't get to sit there in the gallery and see how people respond or react to our work mm -hmm. you know we we do our work we drop them off at the door of the, the gallery and we hope for the best. You know, we right. hope that they find homes. We also hope that they make an impact or speak to somebody on, you know, whatever level that they, they need it. And it's, you know, it's an interesting boss less job, you know, like you don't, there's no, um, oh, what is it? Well, there's no feedback other than did, no it, did it sell, you know, did it, did it find a home? Yeah. That's the feedback exactly. you have. Well, and with, with that one, so, so this gallery owner had called me and he said, um, he's like, I know you don't, you know, you don't get to see this part that I get to see now that I have my own gallery, but the, um, the individual that bought that piece, um, had just gone through like 
a really tough time with her husband where they weren't seeing eye to eye on like anything. And, um, and she just stood in front of the painting and just started crying when she mm. read the the title to it. And then she, she had to have this cause it was this, you know, hopeful, um, piece that, you know, we may grumble like these two big bumbly bears, like we may grumble the whole way, but I know that we can meet at some point and work things through, you know, yeah. and, and, and the rays of light shining down on each of them on the unstable ground with air quotes because they're on a boat on water, you know, so it's mm-hmm. ever undulating <laughs> and will swallow you up if you yeah. fall into it. Yep. Well, yeah, it was really cool because I feel like um, it just reminded me that the story keeps going, you know, keeps keeps going because it gets those paintings get placed in somebody else's hands that adds to the story mm-hmm. so of the piece. So, and what would also be interesting to know is the conversations that take place in the home with the piece owner and their friends or family or their guests who look at it. Absolutely. Like, like the gallery owner was finally able to see the, the buyer's interaction with it. Then the mm-hmm. buyer's going to have a conversation and interaction with someone about it. Yeah, that would be fascinating to see also. Could be somewhat frightening also, but yeah, I would find it more interesting than it looks like spaghetti. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you use animals, uh, wild animals, forest animals, critters, everything uh, as those characters. Uh, I'm a big animal lover. And uh, I, I found it interesting that uh, tonight when I was, uh, it was book time before bedtime with my eight-year-old, Molly, we are reading The Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, nice. And it is, it is largely four characters. Mm-hmm. One of the characters, I, I want to read this to you because it's super cool. And if you ever did a painting like this, it might end up in our house. Because <laughs> um, it mentions, uh, okay, let me see who she is. She is a girl named Jill, uh, was already in the middle of a crowd when she said this. For besides the dancers, all sorts of people who had been watching the dance, whom, had, whom she had not seen at first, came running up. Squirrels came out of trees in showers, and so did owls. Hedgehogs came waddling as fast as their short legs could carry them. Bears and badgers followed at a slower pace. A great panther, twitching its tail in excitement, was the last to join the party. Hmm. And I'm like, this is the night, and like an hour ago, before I knew I was going to have this conversation with you, I'm like, there's just animals everywhere. That's amazing. Um, That's so, awesome. So, so this is from Narnia, for you know, from C.S. Lewis's mind. And oh, just, I'm a big fan. I don't know. I just thought that was super cool. I just wanted to share that just because, like... I love that. You know, he brings these, car- it, um, these animals it, to life. I've always been taken by that, um, that saying, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and the ones around to hear, you know, does it make a sound? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what goes on in those woods. Right. We don't know what the bears do when we're not around. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing makes my mind go crazy. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a I had a friend in college who after we graduated she got a a job on a boat. She basically helped this guy sail around the world for like a year and a half. And she said something to me that just again made my mind explode of like They'd be out, out on this open water where there's no, there's no barges, there's no airplanes, there's, there's, no there's, light, nothing. there's nothing, there's nothing around. 
and you're on this very small little yacht and everything comes to the surface. She was like, you would not believe what you see when nobody's around. And I just oh, was like, man, what I hadn't thought you about that. Oh, I know. What do you see? I want to, I, this is just amazing to me. Yeah. Because we live, you know, we live in, uh, sometimes it can seem a, a most um, unmysterious world here, you know, mm -hmm. but there are untapped mysteries, I'm sure, in the forest and in the seas. And that always drew me to wanting to use animals and creatures and, um, because I feel like they have this secret life. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and that m my brain would love for them to have. And I remember my sister, well, my family and I took a, um, we went to Scotland after I graduated from college. We took a, um, one last family trip to Scotland for maybe, I don't know, like nine or 10 days. And it was, you know, fly in, rent a car, drive each other crazy for, you know, however many days. Mm -hmm. And um, we were driving through, I think, the Isle of Skye, just in the kind of in the middle of nowhere. We were lost. I was car sick. I'm pretty sure I'd thrown up, a, you know, on the side of the road. And my dad was on the verge of, like, kicking us all out of the car because we were like, oh, we're <laughs> Thumb we your way home. I'm, I'm in the country on the island of sky. Yeah, I mean, like, on. nobody knows where we are. And and we're driving through the woods, and, and there were these beautiful, impeccable woods, and in the middle of the forest, as you can see through, because it was, it was very dense, like, almost kind of like, a, um, like an Escher forest, you know, like mm -hmm. this just logs sit and stand straight up and in the middle there was this cut off stump and literally i'm telling you this is what happened there was a sunbeam that had fallen on the stump and there were thousands of rabbits thousands of rabbits wow. that had that were in the forest around the stump and there was one huge rabbit standing like a king like up on his haunches on the stump and we we're just you know we're just whizzing by in our uh misery you know in the car <laughs> like hungry have to use the bathroom and you know crabby and i my sister and i were in the back seat and of course we probably weren't speaking to each other but i said oh my gosh margaret did you just see that she's like i think i think i did see that but i don't know if i saw what i think i saw and then we described it to each other. We're like, yes, that's what we just saw. Who knows what was happening in the forest that day, but it was pretty, it made a mark. Well, that King Rabbit was clearly planning a raid. He had an army. Yeah, Harry. I believe it. And if it were a mouse, I would think it was Reepicheep. I mean, come on. Reepicheep, exactly. <laughs> it would totally be Reepicheep. Have you painted that? Uh, no, I've painted... I have thought about that rabbit fairly often. I need to paint that scene. I have painted rabbits on stumps with, they're like holding a candle in the dark mm -hmm. because I felt like it was like a podium to say something. Mm -hmm. And, and I think probably, probably I do need to paint that, that scene. Would it be? There's just, um... there's just so many dang rabbits, you know, I just don't know if I can paint that many rabbits. Would it be a wide angle shot or would it be 
um, up close with the rabbit on the stump, king rabbit on a stump, and the little rabbits all on the ground. I think it had to be a wide angle shot. Or would, would it I be it from was, the car window? I see. I would see it as a, a vertical piece with that stunning forest of trees with all the rabbits just littering the ground. Like super tall that, trees? Yeah. And little tiny rabbits? Uh-huh. You know you're not yeah. going to sleep tonight, right? I know. <laughs> I know. I've got so many projects that I have going. It's, it's a little nuts, but yeah, thanks for stirring that up again, hey, Gregory. That's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Um, so you have a bunch of projects going on. Is it personal work? Is it commissions? Is it both? I have a solo show coming up in Charlotte, North Carolina at a gallery called Lark and Key that is opening on April 6th. So, so I'm working on pieces for that. And I've also, I've got a, a number of commission pieces that I need to start and finish for clients. And I also, I do design work for a company called Hester and Cook that is based here in Nashville that make absolutely beautiful paper goods. Very cool. Yeah, they, they are the best. The owner had seen my work at, gosh, I want to say Porter Flea, the mm-hmm. artisan fair here in, um, in Nashville. And she came by my booth and saw my work and... I also, one of my good friends is a designer there too. And, um, I'm pretty sure she probably passed along my name as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vicki Sawyer is also, a, an artist that, that paints for Hester and Cook. And so we both get the esteemed pleasure. Nice. Yeah. It's super cool stuff. Does one of those products include a children's book? Maybe I've, I've thought about it. It'd have to be the right story. And I don't know if I would need to write it. That's what or... that was going to be my next thing. I'm like, would you be able to, to yeah. write the words if you did that? I think so. I would need the space, like the headspace to sit down and really give it its fair due. When you were playing music, were you the lyricist um, or were you the music writer? Both. Both. Okay. Mm-hmm. So working with words is not outside your wheelhouse. I mean, that's, that's no. totally okay. No, and and being, I mean, even going back to, I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, but going back to like undergrad, my my major was art history. All you do is write, yeah, you know, papers, and yeah. write about art. And so, no, I I really do love to write, but um, I haven't flexed that muscle in a while. So, and I have written a couple of stories. I don't know. We'll see. Sounds like there's a retreat to Denver in your future, which could you serve know, multiple purposes. I think so. I think so. Getting back to the name Elizabeth Foster, it is a pretty common, a pretty common name. I remember when I graduated from college, I moved back home to Columbia, South Carolina for a while, for five years. And every time I would get the flu and had to go in to get, go to the pharmacy and get medicine, they would try to give me some other Elizabeth Foster's medicine. I'm like, how does that happen? <laughs> like, that, that's the worst. That's so dangerous. Yeah, but, it is. Um, yeah. I, so I know there was an Elizabeth Foster there, and I always wondered about her and hoped she was feeling better. But... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she's well now? I pray so, wherever she is. That would certainly be sad if she's not. 
I know it would be really like, sad. Gosh, get a new doctor. Like, if I had only had my medication, if that other <laughs> Elizabeth Foster hadn't that meddling Elizabeth Foster. It's like the villain in the Scooby Doo commercials. Exactly. And I would have kids. done it had it not been for you, kids. <laughs> I would have lived a solid extra twenty years. Had... Are you old enough to know Scooby Doo? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Absolutely. That's actually you. you I was alluding to Scooby Doo. You were already doing it, so I was, I was picking up yes. the vibe. You See? picked it up. Children of the seventies unite. That's that's right. <laughs> Into the form of a bucket of water. <laughs> Shape of an eagle or a rabbit <laughs> on a stump. <laughs> and as a kid, you're like, "What are you gonna do with a stump?" I'm gonna stand on it and declare. Freedom! Freedom! <laughs> so yeah, so getting back to art, I was, I've got a, a nice long laundry list of things to, to paint for, so. About your commissions, does the benefactor call and say, hey, I want this particular size of piece with this color palette, go nuts? Or do they say, paint me something with a panda that tells the story? Typically, I get a lot of different requests, and um, I don't take them all. I really try to stay away from painting cats. Um, but dogs? <laughs> dogs, I do. <laughs> I do paint dogs. I, I would have to say there are plenty of other painters that, that paint do that dogs also. So yes. much better than me. But um, I, I might disagree with that, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> Um, but no, typically people have, they've seen what I've done and they've done, you know, their kind of homework and, um, they know what they want. Maybe it's something like, um, a piece that I had already painted, but they want their own personal twist on it or mm -hmm. addition to the story or different characters or whatever. And, and if it's something that I can be on board with, then I'll paint it. That yeah. sounds awesome. You know, it's not fun to paint the same painting over and over. And so I don't, it's, it's really a whole lot of work when you start doing that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like everything needs to be really one of a kind. And so everything that I do is, is, is different from one another. It might be along the same thematic lines and that kind of thing. But when you do personal work or start creating pieces for a show, Mm-hmm. Is each painting a single frame, a single story? Or is each painting a single page in the greater story? So like as a whole, is the entire show one storybook? Or I see. is every piece on a wall its own little storybook? I would have to say that they're all pages torn out of different probably different stories. Okay. Different, if that makes any sense. They're mm -hmm. probably pages as opposed to chapters of the same book. But I feel like they're all, they all live well together in the same room. Are they pages of different books or are they pages of the same book? I would say they're pages from different books. Okay. In the same library. It's a collective, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, in Alice in Wonderland terms, it, they would be little, their own little rabbit holes where you would go into one painting and get into that world because mm -hmm. it's a page out of a book. And then yeah. you'd go stand in front of another one and you dive in and it's 
going into that world and that particular story, correct? The way that I think about it is I think of them as moments, as moments in time of a real story. So you have, like, in your day, in my day, there's so many storylines going on at the same time, it's not even funny, right? From, like, 10 minutes to 10 minutes, it's a totally different book. It's all in the same room together. And, I mean, I can have a conversation with my mom on the phone, and it's a totally different story. And then getting in the car and going to the grocery store and the drama that can ensue there, you know? So I kind of feel like those, that's, I don't know if that explains it very well, but I feel like that's kind of how I see the images play out in my paintings. They're, they're moments in conversation. They're mm-hmm. moments of discovery or movement. That makes perfect sense. So when I go to a show or see a new collection, then I mm-hmm. will know how to approach it and not read too much into it. We talked about this earlier. I know there's an mm-hmm. element of the viewer inserts him or herself into the scene and then pulls out of it whatever resonates. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point that makes sense sense in the land of fiction. And as, as much of an artist I am, I'm still very much interested in propositional things, which mm-hmm. means I want to know what the writer or artist's intent was, lest I misinterpret something and yeah. go off on a tangent if it's a worldview or, or something. That's where the my brain is 60-40 comes in. Because if I were higher than 60 on right end, I'd be like, sure, whatever. <laughs> it can be whatever it wants. I know, and it's it's hard. I think it's it's hard as a um, as an artist who is drawn to painting more narrative work because I I do have a lot of people like say you know when you when you drop off these pieces if you could make if you could write a blurb that goes with each one because it really helps people connect with whatever. It's interesting if I do if I ever do shows where I'm I'm actually there for opening or for the duration of the show. You know, uh, there's always somebody that comes up to a piece that I I think is a more hopeful piece or a positive character. Mm-hmm. Um, that was someone would be like, oh, he's just so sad, and it just makes me go, what? You know, you're not wrong. You're interpreting the cues, the visual cues that leads you to believe that this this character is sad. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really interesting because I don't want to. You know, I'm always the girl that wants to flip to the back of the book to see what happens. Like, I want to know the whole story. I want to know it. And I get that, that my paintings can be snippets, you know, of, of, or little windows instead of the whole panoramic, you know, view Mm -hmm. of it. I don't know. I, I guess that's part of the mystery too. And I'm mystified. And I think it's wonderful when people actually, you know, get a completely different take on it because it reminds me that I'm not, I'm not painting this stuff in the vacuum, like there's other people that come and bring things to these pieces, completely different stories, completely different fresh eyes. And that's wonderful mm-hmm. to have an, to have an audience, yeah. to have a, a conversation. Well, that makes sense. Let's take a quick break for a nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest. Every year we see more and more families fall into homelessness and they come, they put their pride aside and they ask for help because they really do not know where to go. And by then, they've lost everything that they had. It's like making new friends with somebody that at the end of the day, you realize that but for the grace of God, I could be in the same position they're in. Once you fall into homelessness, it's so much harder to get back 
housed and stable. And what we're trying to do at Safe Haven is move a family from homelessness to self-sufficiency. So everything that we do from sheltering a family and providing them with everything that they need during that crisis time in their life, whether it's food, whether it's financial literacy classes, case management, counseling, that we move that family to a place where they can be independent. And that is what we want. They're keeping the families together. You know, it's so crucial, and there's a need to keep families together. Safe Haven Family Shelter is the only shelter that can house the mother, the father, and the kids together. Other family shelters separate the kids. It's an experience that allows you to count your blessings, to recognize the wonderful gifts that we all have, and then turn around and play a meaningful role in helping others. It all comes full circle. Please visit safehaven.org to learn more. When you dream at night, what do you see? When I dream when, at night? When you, yeah, when you, when, you, when you dream. Not when you daydream and like come up with stuff, but when yeah. you're sleeping and you're physically dreaming. What do I remember? What do you see? Because you're such a visual person. I'm curious what your mind is doing as it, <laughs> as it sorts throughout the night. Because that's what, it, allegedly, that's what dreams are, right? It's like yeah. your, your brain is sorting and filing and all that stuff. And then things explode and into the woods happens. Um, what happens in your dreams? I dream a lot about, if I remember them, I dream a lot about tornadoes. I have a lot of tornadic dreams. They are either good tornadoes where they like, like, oh my gosh, it's kind of scary, but it picks me up and takes me somewhere beautiful, you know? And then it was like, oh, I'm not dead. This is incredible. That tornado was nice. Yeah. Or it's the scary tornado that is chaotic. And so I just find that, and maybe it's the fact that I live now in a town that is kind of in tornado alley-ish a little, you know, like we right. get a lot more tornadoes than I'm used to. And tornadoes are pretty fascinating to my brain. And I don't know, I, I, I dream a lot about tornadoes. So yeah. Well, your neighborhood weird. experienced a revival among the city because of, of a, a tornado. tornado. It did. Megan and I lived here during that and it was, it was crazy. I had been through East Nashville <laughs> pre-tornado because I thought Shelby Street would go east. At the time, I lived in Hermitage mm -hmm. and 40 eastbound from downtown out to Hermitage was mm -hmm. just a bear. So I thought, mm -hmm. oh, well, here's a, this is a parallel road. And I got on Shelby and I ended up in the park. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I can't really get to Hermitage from here. No, um, you can't. And at the time, the neighborhood wasn't really anything that would make me want to go back yeah. to, uh, except for maybe the park. I think I did go back to see the park, but I'm not even sure the greenway was built in yet. I think it was just the park and the pond and all that stuff. They hadn't mm -hmm. put in Shelby Bottoms. But when the tornado came right through downtown Nashville, Megan was dancing with Nashville Ballet. She was literally on stage in TPAC. Oh my goodness. And they said, everybody underground, you know, to a lower oh, floor. Oh my goodness. And the, the, the tower that's atop T-Pack, you know, took a direct hit. And then it just bounced right through downtown and 
landed in the East Nashville Tornado Alley, like where your house is. Yeah. Um, so after that's what put East Nashville on the map to me was the tornado, and yeah. uh, it was right before our wedding in '98. I'm not even sure they were able to put the production on, and I want to say it was Swan Lake. Megan would have been one of the swans in the in the core, but I don't recall if it ever really happened because I think the tornado blew it out of town. Oh my gosh. I, when I, of course, moving here in 2003, I didn't, I wasn't here for that, but yeah. I, I remember I was working retail and the, the manager at the store was telling me about, cause of course we're probably talking about dreams and I probably told him, yeah, I had another tornado dream. And he was like, <laughs> are you into tornadoes? And I was like, I am totally I, into I tornadoes. Am, he was yeah. like, I have a VHS you need to watch. And it was this whole special on the 1998 Nashville tornado. Oh, wow. And how it was like a mile and a half wide. And he gave it to me, and I, w I took it straight home and watched that thing with vigor. I mean, it was just, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. That's very cool. Have you ever seen it a was, real tornado? No. I haven't either. No, but I will say this. I used to sing and play with an artist named Sarah Siskin, and we did a we did some shows where did we do some? We were in St. Louis, but we were both, I was in Denver visiting my sister and she had been playing some song, some uh, shows in, in Colorado. And we met up in Denver and drove across the country playing some shows. And we had just... Good drive. Yeah, I, the drive I, I actually was, like that drive. I'm one of the few people who enjoys the drive from St. Louis to Denver. <laughs> if you go <laughs> well, east or if you go west, if you can drive into the sunset amazing yeah for sure and I, I think actually i think um julie lee was with us too i want to say wow. but um i would have liked to have been at that show oh well the three of us used to do a trio together Very and cool. um and sarah well sarah she's i mean both of them are tremendous singers yes. songwriters i mean yes. they're just absolutely incredible but they're also incredible friends too and hilariously enough um not hilariously, hilarious for me, not for Sarah. It's it's natural for her to be a complete and total rock star. But she got a a slice of the Bonnie Raitt tour one year that she opened for Bonnie Raitt, mm -hmm. and she brought me and Julie along as her band, which was ridiculous. Wow. Which I played bass, but I don't play bass. But I played bass, and one of my favorite moments was, was an when upright we bass, like a bass fiddle. Oh, dude, that would you... be so much cooler. No, okay. no. Um, I would love to play upright bass. Okay. But um, no, it was just really funny because we got there and the bass player was like, oh, you're the bass. I was like, yep. He was like, okay, we can talk shop. I was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I appreciate, I appreciate That would be Victor Wooten yeah. you want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so much fun, though. But what I was going to say is that I think the three of us coming back from across those prairie lands, mm -hmm. you know, that, that horrible storm that took out Joplin, uh, mm -hmm. Missouri, yep. we fought that storm in, there was a bad, bad accident on the highway and we were on one side, the accident was on the other side and we sat there and watched, do you remember the movie, um, Never ending story. Yeah. And then nothing. Yeah. Okay, we watched the great nothing oh, rolling towards us. 
we literally and there was no we couldn't we couldn't move an inch we couldn't go anywhere because it was um we were blocked in by traffic and it was that storm that took out joplin Mm. and you you just looked at it and you knew that it was a beast from some other place i mean it was it was horrible to look at as soon as that wall of rain hit us it was miraculous it's like the 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 traffic just started moving. I remember I was driving and I had to fight that front for like a good two hours. And we finally got past it all. But it was, that was scary times. That mm. was probably as close as I ever got to seeing a tornado. Yeah. I've, I've but, never seen one. And, and it's, it's actually on my bucket list to see a tornado. Oh yeah. Just because I have this affinity for bad thunderstorms. Yeah. Um, not real crazy about the damage that they do, but I'm awed by the power yeah. that a storm is. And I grew up in the Midwest <clears throat> in central Illinois, and you know, we had tornado warnings when it was tornado season. And my dad and I would go out and kind of sort of just scan the sky for them. Yeah. And then, okay, well, we should go home and take shelter. But I never got a chance to see one. Um, I've seen funnel clouds kind of swirling up there, but nothing that really started spinning and became a twister. And I would kind of like to, just Uh to say I had, you know? Yeah. Um, I was talking about this with Molly, and her eyes just got really big, like, really it's like, yeah, I mean, I just kind of, I mean, storms don't really bother me. I would just I'd like to run in the rain. So at some point I would like to see a tornado because I never have. I mean, you know, it's, it's a curious thing. I, I have a, a big curious bone, but there's something really interesting about maybe being a tornado chaser in Nebraska somewhere, yeah. just sometime and do a ride along, you know, be, go fun to do a photo documentary of a storm chaser or something. That oh, would be, be cool. It would yeah, drive would cool. Megan to the loony bin because her anxiety would just go through the roof knowing that I was literally going toward one of those. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. But oh my <laughs> gosh, how fun would that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not every day you see the sky like right. reach down and touch the ground, you know, yeah. like it's kind of magical in yeah. a terrifying way. Yeah. But I think it's fascinating that that's what you see in your dreams. I love that. Has a tornado ever appeared in one of your paintings? No. I'm thinking not because... The ones that I have seen have always been kind of a placid scene, aside from the bears in the boat um, mm-hmm. that had a stormy sky, but there was the mm-hmm. hope with the, the rays of light. That one seems to be the, quote, darkest one or mm-hmm. the most stormy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hadn't recalled seeing a tornado in there. but No, I haven't. On purpose? I haven't painted a tornado. Or it just hasn't come up? It hasn't come up. Okay. It hasn't come up and... I like I like other people's paintings of tornadoes. I used to work in a, a gallery here in town who had this really cool atmospheric painter who would every now and then paint tornadoes. And there were always these just beautiful, ghostly, just slips, you know, of, of atmosphere. And it, they're so beautiful mm. to look at. But um, I haven't painted my own. Well, you have mentioned that uh, you have... A little person in your house. I um, do. I've met your husband, and I know he is a photographer, fine art photographer, uh, and I've loved everything I've seen. What is it like living with another uber creative in the house, and you're both parenting this little child? Well, is she it's a tornado? <laughs> God knew exactly what kind of kid we needed at this phase in life because we're both older and. I mean, she's, she's kind of a laid back kid Yeah. and she was a really easy baby and she's, 
she's been a laid back, almost two year old too. You know, I mean, she's, she's, she has her moments like everybody else, but I, I think she got enough of her dad's laid back genes. Thank you. <laughs> that, um, she will be a teenager. We may just make it through. I and don't know, but we may. 10 years till teenage years. <laughs> exactly. I know. <laughs> I know it could be all out the window tomorrow, but, right. um, but yeah, it's, it's really nice. Andy is a huge help. It's a lot of fun to to be parenting with him because he is a creative and you can speak you know, that same unspoken language if nothing else or you can commiserate with I've just got this idea in my head I need to be by myself and go get it out or or whatever yes. or whatever your method is. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean definitely there there are so many times when if he's at home I've got to put this down over here on canvas real quick and he uh, he'll He's like, I got the girl. You go do it. So that's really great for him. I he also he works as an occupational therapist, and mm-hmm. so he gets to work on art as kind of dessert for him. So I'm I'm sure he's he he needs to get back into some more artistic mm-hmm. um, work. It's it's just a little nuts right now. So yeah. I I can relate to that nuts. Um, mm-hmm. We have three little people. <laughs> I can't believe it. Under That's the age amazing. of eight. Our first one came along when I was 39. Oh, wow. And our third one came along when I was 44. So we started late also. Yeah. And if my wife were here, okay, I have to do this because I would, if she were in the room, she'd be shooting darts at me. Uh, she and I are seven and a half years apart. So she uh-huh. would want everyone to know that she was not 39. Right. <laughs> right. And 44 <clears throat> when these children were. We're born. Gotcha. So I have to throw that in there because she's my girl and I know she would want that <laughs> Starting as, as a parent late in life has definitely been interesting. I mean, you know, by the time my kids are graduating high school, I'm going to be there with the grandparents mm-hmm. who did not yep. start having a family late in life. I have college friends who have grandchildren. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I have a two-year-old, almost three-year-old. Yeah. It's just kind of hard to wrap my head around. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little nuts. I turned 45 days after I gave birth to Eloise, Mm -hmm. my daughter. And I remember my doctor was like, oh, that's, you know what, that's that's when I had my first child too. And the only thing is, is that you'll, you know, you may be the oldest mom in the group. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That. That's cool. She's like, no, it's it is cool until you know your child starts asking you like, why are you look so old? You know, like <laughs> right. those adorable, sweet, innocent so, questions. Oh, you're so precious. That are full Mommy of daggers. Mommy loves you. Never ask that ever again <laughs> of anyone ever. But okay. yeah, it's. I mean, it's a challenge, and I know they're just gonna. I mean, it's just the beginning. You know, yeah. Or, but, or um, it's fun until you're in a mom's group and there's a you know, first time mom and she's 25 and, (laughs) and you've lived at least 15 years longer, like the most formative and important 15 years of a grown up's life. And you're like, I cannot even relate to this 25 year old. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. It's been a really big challenge to figure out how to work full time as a painter and work full time as a mom, because I'm, I'm home with, her. Mm-hmm. So painting has to come whenever I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, During nap time. 
in the wee nap- small hours of the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, if I wake up early, it's, it's a, it's a total gift, you know, and run downstairs and, and work real fast or, mm-hmm. or nap time or after dinner when everybody's shut down for the night and yeah. baby is sleeping, then I get into that studio and, and get to work as well, which is kind of unfortunate because the, the colors don't register the same during the day. And I, I really need that natural light. There's some, I've kind of divided it up in my brain as to um, what things I can paint. I'm safer to paint at night hmm. and what stages of the paintings I'm, I can't. But, um, you know, I mean, it's like anything, you just have to have patience enough to um, figure out a new system, but um, it does seem pretty impossible. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting. Um, thank you. I, I have That's learned even more about you than I already knew. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for including me. I appreciate it. I'm glad. There you have it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. Leave a comment and a solid rating. You know the drill. And a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilodesiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at WorldwideGrooveCorporation.com. Now go be you.